0: He's hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinions. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes, but, but, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh a touchdown. Com-
1: it's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
0: And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 10, 10 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Midway point of the week. Thankfully, we get to put the Cincinnati game in the rearview mirror and begin focusing on the Cleveland Browns. Boy, a big game for both Jacksonville and Cleveland Uh, More on the game in a moment, but did you see the injury reports today for both teams? You want to know a team that does not want to care about your injury problems? That would be the Cleveland Browns, who have been without Nick Chubb basically the entire year, are now without Deshaun Watson. They've been without really, really good players in their secondary. They've been without Amari Cooper, who's now back in concussion protocol, and questionable for the game on Sunday. Miles Garrett has a shoulder issue and is not 100%. So Cleveland is about as banged up as Jacksonville is. And yet, despite all these injuries, it's the 8-4 and four Jaguars and the 7-5 and five Cleveland Browns in what is a very big game in the American Football Conference. So we're going to talk a lot about Jacksonville and Cleveland tonight. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, my buddy Cecil Shorts will join me, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. We'll get Cecil's thoughts on the Monday night disaster, but more so looking ahead to Cleveland on Sunday. We will also get the Cleveland Browns perspective from my guy, my guy Scott Petrack. All right, Scott Petrach from brownzone.com. Scott's my guy in Cleveland. I tell you guys this. You do it long enough, you got guys in every market. Scott's my guy in Cleveland. He's with the BrownZone.com. He's joined me for years, and we'll get the Cleveland side of this matchup on Sunday. Coming up with Scott Petrack, BrownZone.com, later on in the 8 o'clock hour. But as we always do, to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night, and Dylan, Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal on Hacker After Dark. So, week 13 of the National Football League. The Jaguars coming off just a bad loss. Coming off a bad loss in which Trevor Lawrence got injured. And the future of Trevor Lawrence's season was in question for some period of time. I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about last year. Think about the irony of what has transpired. Remember week 13 of 2022? That was the Detroit game. That was the game that Jacksonville absolutely got annihilated by the Detroit Lions, Trevor Lawrence got bent over backwards like a lawn chair. And we didn't know where the season was going to go. Until the very next week, they go to Nashville and they put one on the Tennessee Titans. Fast forward to present day. Week 13. They lose a hard-fought game to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Trevor Lawrence gets folded over like a lawn chair again. And again, week 14, just like last year, there's a lot of questions about the direction of this team going into a tough road game in Cleveland. There's a lot of similarities there, man. It's irony, right? Week 13, back to back years, tough losses. Trevor gets hurt in both week 13 games. Last year in week 14 is when the Jaguars began their run. Will the Jaguars put it all together again in week 14 this year? Or are the injuries just too significant? Remember, it's not just Trevor. It's Christian Kirk. It's Walker Little. You got problems right now. Most of these guys will come back at some point but can you get to that point and still be a viable contender in the AFC playoff race that is what we will begin to find out on Sunday in Cleveland but i do think again you talk about a bad loss Trevor Lawrence gets hurt week 13 it is exactly where we were a year ago the only difference instead of being 4 and 8 with all that uncertainty the jaguars are 8 and 4 that obviously is a big difference everybody's worried about the playoff race it's very simple i laid it out last night i'll do it again briefly first off don't even talk to me about the number 1 seed anymore i don't care the jaguars as it stands right now are not in the same atmosphere with miami or baltimore or probably even Kansas City, all right? Now, they play Baltimore next week, and we'll see. But when Jake Browning goes 32 of 37 for 354 on you, I can't even begin to imagine what Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or Tua would have done to this defense on Monday night. So don't talk to me about being the top dog in the AFC. The only thing I wanted with the number one seed was that bye week. That bye week matters. I don't even necessarily care about home playoff games anymore because the jaguars have proven without a shadow of a doubt 12 games in they are far better on the road than they are at home they're 6 and 0 outside of everbank stadium 6 and 0 they're 2 and 4 inside everbank stadium so i don't care about home field advantage that that is irrelevant to me the numbers speak louder than anything i could ever say 6 and 0 outside Two and four at home. Done. Do not care about home playoff games. I did, however, care about the bye week, which is probably not going to be attainable now. But as far as big picture AFC South, the two wins over Indy and the win at Houston are gigantic. Gigantic. Yes, in the standings, it says Jacksonville eight and four, Indy and Houston seven and five. But in reality, the Jaguars are two games up for sure on Indy, and they're basically two games up on Houston. All you have to do if you're Jacksonville is go 3-2 and two in the last five. And if one of those three, that needs to be a win over Tennessee. If you go 3-2 and two, and one of your three wins is a win in Nashville week 18, you're going to win the division nine out of ten times. Because if you go 3-2, and two, that would require either Indy or Houston to run the table from here on out. They'd have to go 5-0. and And seeing as how they play each other on Week 18, obviously one of them cannot go 5-0. and So as much as the loss to Cincinnati sucked, and it did, you take a deep breath, you examine where you are, five games left, win three of them, just make sure one of those wins is at Tennessee Week 18, you'll win the division. Now, unfortunately, that gives you a home playoff game. I don't know if that's a good thing or not at this point. It's probably not a good thing to play at home. Because, again, the Jaguars have proven they are far better on the road. But they are still the overwhelming favorites in the South because of those absolutely enormous tiebreakers they currently own over Indianapolis and over Houston. More on the Jaguars and the Browns. We'll... Take a look back at the disaster that was Monday night with my friend Cecil Shorts. He played seven years in the National Football League. Four of those years were right here in Jacksonville. Let's look at the injury concerns. Let's look at the future, and let's talk to a guy in Cecil Shorts who played with backup quarterbacks. How does it change for the skill position guys if Trevor doesn't go and C.J. Beathard does, quickly? Trevor? No crutches, no boot in the press conference today. It was eye-opening. I would still tend to believe C.J. Bethard's going to play on Sunday, but I'm not as positive about that as maybe I was 24 hours ago. We'll talk about all that with Cecil Shorts next Wednesday night edition. Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92. Point Five FM. Let's ring up another
1: guest on the All Pro Roofing phone
0: line. Back here on Ten Ten XL at Ninety Two Point Five FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Wednesday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Browns Sunday at one o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on Ten Ten XL. Both teams extremely banged up, yet both teams fighting for playoff positioning. Cleveland at seven and five, while the Jaguars come in at 8-4. and four. Let's look back on that disastrous Monday night here in Jacksonville and look ahead to a big game on Sunday with my friend Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, how you doing, man?
2: I'm well, brother. Excited to be on, man. How you doing?
0: Cecil, we're good. Thank you for the time. And, boy, that was bad Monday night, man. You wait 12 years to get Monday night football back here in Duval County you lose in that fashion, and you get absolutely obliterated by injuries in the process. What were your takeaways from the game?
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> what can Browning do for you? When, oh. when Jake Browning. When Jake Browning is the quarterback coming into the game, you would have told me um, that he would go off and, and light up a, a Jacksonville defense for 354 yards. Um, and not even just that. I mean, he was 32 or 37. Like he was on point all night and I'm not sure from a defensive standpoint what they were doing. It was, it was very, very disappointing to see because um, in in my mind, it's like if you're a playoff contender come playoff time, if you can't handle Browning, how are you going to handle Mahomes? How are you going to handle the other quarterbacks in the AFC? Um, it's just, it's just frustrating to see that type of performance on a Monday night on the flip side, I think the offense played well. Um, I thought Trevor was playing well until, up until he got hurt. I thought uh, NtN did a good job. I thought Parker Washington stepped up in, the, in a big area. Um, but it's, it's I hate to see the injuries to Little. So, of course, to Trevor, right? And then um, to one of your consistent playmakers all year, Christian Kirk. Um, so, this this is uh, – it wasn't just like a, you took a loss on the field, you took a loss in the injuries as well. And you're still, like you mentioned in the intro, you're still fighting for a playoff spot. So for you to uh kind of have a big win against Houston, you're eight and three in charge of division, then boom, you mess around, took a loss, now you're eight and four, and then Houston and, and Indianapolis just won. So technically they're only a game behind you right now um in, in the ASC South. So with these injuries. So it makes me a little bit concerned and I'm interested to see how uh, they can bounce back against uh, another banged up team in in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, the Jaguars limping to the finish line. They need to basically go three and two in the next five. And if one of those wins is against Tennessee, Cecil, they would make then either the Colts or the Texans have to go five and zero to win the division. Tiebreakers might be huge for Jacksonville because they own them over Indy and they own them over Houston. Assuming Jacksonville can beat Tennessee in week 18 quickly to Parker Washington. Uh, He's going to have to be the guy to step up with Christian Kirk being out now. And I remember talking with you, golly, this might even have been training camp or certainly very early in the year. You've been high on Parker Washington. You liked him a little bit, even three or four months ago.
2: Yeah. So I actually got a chance to work with him a little bit in the pre, actually, I'm sorry, I about to say pre-draft process. I got a chance to work with him when he came out of high school. Um, so he's from the Houston area, went to a local high school. They ended up going to Penn State, and I got a chance to work with him. Just a couple of times I was helping out a friend. And even then, you could see how talented and special he was. Built like a running back type. Um, very similar build to Christian Kirk. Uh, extremely extremely smart player. His his best attribute, I think, is his run after a catch ability. Um, but he is somebody that's going to have to step up with Christian Kirk's injury. And he stepped up big time. Six catches, 61 yards, that tough touchdown catch. He has extremely, extremely strong hands. He's a strong player in general, right? Um, small in stature, but he's a very strongly built young man. And um, I loved him since training camp. I, I just love what he did at Penn State. I think it will translate well in the league. And I'm excited he got some playing time. I'm not excited Christian got hurt, but I'm excited he got some playing time and did well and he can show his skill because he was just chomping at the bit. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he continues that uh with the weeks to come, no matter who's the quarterback because he is the guy that can really uh get open over the middle and make tough catches and he's just a tough kid man when you get him the ball he can make he can make guys miss um he can stop on the dime and he can really be tough like a tough runner after the play so I was excited to see things uh go his way Monday night.
0: Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts here with us on 1010XL. Another good thing, I suppose, is that Jamal Agnew is getting set to have his window opened. He was put on IR about a month ago, so one would think that Jamal Agnew may be back in play at some point to also help with Christian Kirk being out. So you're going to have to kind of piecemeal it together with Agnew when he comes back and and certainly uh, Parker Washington. But that puts more pressure on Ridley and Zay Jones and Ingram. Now, Ingram has held up his end of the bargain. Ingram has been great. Zay has been good since he returned. They're going to have to get more out of him. But, see, so it's time, man. Calvin Ridley, let's be honest here. Uh, I mean, let's, let's shoot you straight. 12 games in, I think Calvin Ridley probably, I hate to use the word disappointment, but I think Jaguar fans probably were expecting more. 12 games in, and now with Kirk being out, it's time for Ridley to be that guy that we thought he was in training camp.
2: You know what? Um, I think he's been very inconsistent. I'm just going to call a spade a spade. If he's going to be your number one guy, I look for consistency. I look for a guy that's going to be week in and week out, um, somebody you can count on, right? And it seems like it's every other week we can count on him or every two weeks we can count on him or um, it just it's just an inconsistent uh, performance from him and it's frustrating because he has the ability, um, but he's not coming through. You know, I think it was a big drop Monday night, jump ball situation. He got to come down with that. If you're a number one receiver, you got to come down with that. When I think of number one guys, I look for consistency, right? I had a, I was blessed to be able to play with a guy named Justin Blackman. He was consistent in his play week in and week out. I played with DeAndre Hopkins. He was consistent in his play week in and week out. I played with Mike Evans. Consistent. And it's play week in and week out. You knew what you were. You know what you're getting from those guys every single week. That's what a number one receiver is. You think of Devontae Adams, you know what you're going to get. You think of Justin Jefferson, you know what they're going to get. You think of Tyreek Hill, you know what you're going to get week in and week out. And it's not about necessarily the stats. It's about when the opportunities come your way, you're going to make the plays, right? Because some some games, they're going to try to take you out, right? Some games, you may only have four catches for 61 yards but you're still dictating the game. You're still consistent when the target's come your way. For him, it's not consistent at all. And it's very, like you said, disappointing that he's not producing in a way that a number one receiver in the league would produce. I would say he's not the number one. He Maybe he's not a number one receiver, right? Maybe it's more of he's a number two guy. Maybe he's a number two guy. Maybe, 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 maybe that's just what it is. But right now, 12 games through, I was expecting more that's just me personally. I was expecting him to be the no the consistent playmaker week in and week out. And there's been times where he has big time drops in games. There's times where he's just mentally not in it. And, it, and it's frustrating to see cuz you see the talent, you see the 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 potential there, but for whatever reason it's not coming out and It's tough for me to say he is a solidified number one guy in the league when you're inconsistent like this. 12 games in, that's a darn good resume. That's a darn good slate of games where we can make a judgment on, you know, if he's he's the guy or not. And right now, it's frustrating. He has, what, close to 700 yards? Um, Yeah, I think
0: 50 catches roughly around there.
2: But he's he's he left a lot of plays out there, Ryan, just to be honest. He he left a lot of plays out there, and that's not what you want from your number one guy.
0: I said this on Monday night. You can tell if the Jaguars are going to win the game or not if Calvin Ridley drops an important pass. Every game they lose, he drops an important pass. You think of the first Houston game. You think of the, uh, the Kansas City game, the game Monday night. San Francisco, it didn't matter. They were getting boat raced. But every game they've been in com- competition, Ridley has a key drop in that game. It's become a trend at this point. That brings us to Trevor, all right? Now, from a fan media point of view, the sky was falling when he was on the ground and couldn't put any weight on his ankle. And then you see him walking through that tunnel, and, and you don't know if it's a leg, a knee. You have no idea. Come to find out on Monday, early Monday morning, or I guess Tuesday morning, rather, we were getting word that it's not a knee, that it's not an Achilles, that it's a high ankle sprain. And they haven't even necessarily ruled him out this week, although I think I'd be stunned to be played against Cleveland. But how much of a sigh of relief was it for his teammate, Cecil, to know that it was not as bad as it appeared?
2: I think it's a huge sigh of relief from player standpoint because it looked like season ending. It looked like something that's going to last a long time, right? Just from his reaction, just from. Um, how it looked on the, I'm sure on TV, it looked crazy but on the big screen at the game. It looked, I couldn't imagine how it looked. Um, and then seeing his reaction walking, trying to walk off the field. It was, it's crazy. So I know as a player, you feel like, all right, cool. He'll be all right. Maybe, you know, a week or two, whatever, he'll be fine or be able to play and push through. But from a schematic standpoint, I think Trevor is better when he has the option to run. Personally, I think he's better and gets more in rhythm when he can uh, scramble out the pocket or have design runs and he can make plays with his feet. He feels more comfortable when he can play action, roll out the pocket, and he can have that option thrown on the run. So with him being hampered, I'm kind of worried right now coming to the end of the season when you're making this playoff push. Um, I don't know how good he can be just sitting in the pocket going through his progression, right? Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how he – how his leg or his ankle responds, and how soon he can get back to – because to me, he was just getting back to his rhythm. I mean, two weeks ago, he had four touchdowns, two in the air, two on the ground. Last week against Houston, um, he went off that game too, looking exceptionally well, throwing the ball down the field, right? And then this week, yesterday, he played – or Monday, excuse me, 22-29, 258 yards, and two touchdowns, like he was going and had a rushing touchdown as well. He was getting in the rhythm, and then now, boom, this happens. So I'm worried to see how the rhythm that he once had, can he pick it back up and do it again? It it, kind of limits him um, with not being as mobile as he would like to be or just even having the chance to be mobile, right? Because he he might just be able to stay in the pocket and deliver, but having that opportunity if I need to get out of the pocket or I feel confident moving in the pocket – or feel confident having a zone read, or feel confident with the design run, can I push off that ankle and, and really throw or or move when I need to? So it's going to be interesting. From a player standpoint, you're like, good, I'm happy he's back. But from a coaching schematic standpoint, um, I'm interested to see how he can adjust moving forward with his spring ankle.
0: Final moments with Cecil Shorts, former Jaguar wide receiver, is with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, from your perspective as a former wide receiver, if it is C.J. Bethard on Sunday, and we don't know that, But if it is, how does that change things for the wide receivers, for the offense, as far as being so used to Trevor and now having CJ come
2: in? It it changes things for sure. Um, But when CJ came in, he didn't do bad. Uh, He didn't do bad. It's just as a receiver in that situation with a backup quarterback, number one, at this point in the season, you know who you're working with, right? Because you've seen him in practice, you've seen him in preseason and you know okay this type of quarterback is a b or c right um and then you kind of put the pressure on yourself when the ball comes my way i gotta help this guy out i gotta make sure i'm making plays for him because if he builds his confidence up he'll continue to feed me the ball and also feed others as a, as the game goes on right you want your quarterback to get in rhythm so if you're a pass catcher you're like let me make plays for him so he can get in comfortable he can get in rhythm and once the quarterback gets confident in the rhythm the sky's the limit for anybody, as we saw Jake Browning do um, Monday night against the Jaguars. So I think it's just important for those guys to make sure they're making plays for him, um, to keep him in rhythm. I think it's important for the play caller to make sure they're calling what, calling plays that he does well. Right? If he's a guy that's a gunslinger that can sling it down the field, great. Let's sling that thing. Let's open it up. Let's play action. And I also think it's important to, to rely on your running game. So with Travis, with, with Dearness, with Tank, really rely on those guys and then play action off of that, right? The best thing for a young quarterback or a backup quarterback is a running game. So if you can solidify that running game, um, which has to be better than what it was Monday night, um, then you're able to open up the offense a little bit and, and, and get the quarterback in rhythm. But if you're a playmaker on the offensive side, you're thinking, I gotta help my quarterback. I gotta help. Him. I gotta make plays when my number is called. I gotta get open and when that ball's in the air. No matter who is throwing it, I gotta make sure no matter where it's at, I gotta go get it.
0: You know, it's interesting as we begin to wrap up. I'll tell you a team that does not want to hear about injuries, and that's the Cleveland Browns. They've been without Nick Chubb basically the entire year. They've been without Deshaun Watson. Denzel Ward's been hurt. Miles Garrett's not a hundred percent. And, oh, by the way, Amari Cooper's in concussion protocol. So you want to talk about two banged-up teams going at it on Sunday, yet two teams that are clearly right in the middle of the playoff picture. Cecil, leave us with this. Three, week three, the Texans come in here and, and bludgeon Jacksonville, just a beatdown. Sky was falling, right? Fans, media like Jacksonville responded. Three weeks ago, San Francisco comes in, treats the Jaguars like a junior varsity. Once again, sky's falling. What happens? The Jaguars responded. For what the Jaguars lack in big games, because, look, at this point, you are who you are. They do not play well when the national spotlight is on them, and I'll say that until they prove me otherwise. So they are lacking in certain departments. But one thing they're not lacking on is resiliency. When you think they're beat down and they get knocked down on the canvas, they tend to get back up, and they need to do that again on Sunday.
2: Well, I think it's a little different because you got a backup quarterback. Um, I think it's a little different because you're going against one of the top defensive teams in the league. Like they are outstanding their front seven. Um and they're banged up, like you said, some some guys in the secondary. So it's gonna be interesting to see can they like for me it's like how often or how many times can you be resilient? How often can you bounce back like this, right? When is the when is it gonna when is it gonna run out? some to the Philadelphia Eagles, right? they uh playing these bad football, staying in the game. They come back and win, come back and win. And then last week, they, they couldn't do it. San Fran was just too much. So I'm wondering, is if, is this week the week where Jacksonville, you get your butt kicked against Houston, you get your butt kicked against uh, San Fran, um, you got your butt kicked last week, can you bounce back that following week? Is this the week where it's like, hey, they can't bounce back? Like, hey, you put yourself in too much of a hole, um, it was just too much, too many, too, like too many injuries. Like what, what is going to happen? So I'm interested to see, can they beat that team? Right. Cause you kind of said it, they are who they are 12 weeks in, just a pretty good resume. Like we, we, we know who Jacksonville is. Right. Um, so to me, this is a huge game. It's like, to me, it's back to back huge games. It may not be nationally televised, but it's a playoff type game because of both teams, their record and they're fighting for playoff spots. Um, especially Cleveland. Cleveland is like, hey, they're not. I don't believe Cleveland's winning the division. I think uh, Baltimore is in the lead in the division, so they need this game more than anything else, right? They're not. You're not playing at Tennessee. Um, you're not playing uh, 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 whoever else is not in the whoever they play after uh, Houston early in the year. But you're playing a solid team that's in the playoffs with a veteran quarterback, Joe Flacco, who knows what to do, and the team's going to try to run the ball down your throat. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see if they can still be resilient if they can still uh be a team that can bounce back after a hard loss on the national stage on a short week. So it's going to be interesting. I'm not I'm not bought in all the way that they will be that this week cuz Cleveland Cleveland's a, a a team on a mission cuz Cleveland got they butt kicked last week too, if I'm not mistaken. Um against against the the uh, St. Louis, I'm sorry. The Rams, oh, the Rams, yeah. And
0: they lost two in a row so on we'll the West see. Coast. So we'll see. Yeah, look, this was going to be Deshaun Watson versus Trevor Lawrence a month ago. It now appears it's going to be Joe Flacco against potentially C.J. Beathard. A drastic change, but yet a very important game in the AFC. Cecil Shorts is our guy. Former Jaguar wide receiver is with us every week here on 1010XL. Cecil, next week. The national TV cameras return at this point. That's probably not a good thing. Uh, there is not a chance I'm picking Jacksonville to beat Baltimore next week. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that seven days out. But we will hopefully be recapping a win over Cleveland and try to figure out how on earth the Jaguars are going to go about stopping Lamar Jackson and that Raven offense. Have a great week, my friend.
2: Hey, you, sir, brother. Always fun to be on.
0: There you go. Always appreciate Cecil Shorts for joining us every week here on Hacker after dark, and it was an interesting perspective. He had, I didn't sense the optimism in Cecil's voice this week that maybe he had after week three or after San Francisco. We'll see. Jacksonville has proven they can get up off the mat when they get knocked down. They've done it a couple of times. Can they do it again after that Monday night loss? And it wasn't just a loss. It was a loss that included a lot of bad injuries. And now you're going on the road, weather forecast in Cleveland. Looks like it's going to be wet high 40s low 50s similar maybe to Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago maybe a little cooler than that but again Cleveland's very banged up as well so we will see what happens you wouldn't think these would be two contending teams yet they are 7 and 5 Cleveland 8 and 4 Jacksonville but you look at that injury report that came out today it's 25 players deep combined between Jacksonville and Cleveland there are a ton of guys on that injury report for both teams. Trevor Lawrence was on that injury report. He did not practice today. A lot of Jaguar fans were flipping out when it came out earlier that C.J. Beathard was limited with a shoulder. I think Beathard's fine, and I actually think Lawrence is doing better than I thought he would two days after that ankle injury. I'm not going to sit here and say Trevor's going to play. I would still be surprised if he played on Sunday, but no crutches, no boot. Walked in pretty good into the press conference, at least. Now, again, walking into a press conference is drastically different than playing on an NFL Sunday. But he looks better than I expected him to look two days after what appeared to be a very bad injury against Cincinnati. What about the Cleveland Browns? What about their side of this matchup? Our guy up in Cleveland is Scott Petrak, brownzone.com. I've had Scott on for years. He does a terrific job covering the Cleveland Browns. Let's talk Joe Flacco. Let's talk Miles Garrett. Let's talk Cleveland injuries. And is this a must win for the Browns? They're at home for the first time in a couple of weeks. They've lost road games in back-to-back weeks. They've gone from 7-3 and three to 7-5. and five. They are going to be a desperate team on Sunday, just like Jacksonville. We'll head to Cleveland, Scott Petrak, brownzone.com. Next, Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark.
1: Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line.
0: Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Browns, Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Both teams wounded coming in. Cleveland 7-5, and 5, Jacksonville, Eight and four, two good teams looking to get a big AFC win. With that, let me welcome in Scott Petrach, brownzone.com. He's our guy up in Cleveland when it comes to the Browns, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Scott, how you doing?
3: I'm good. How are you?
0: Scott, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. We're recovering from what happened Monday night, just a football uh, disaster of epic proportions here in Jacksonville. Uh, Cleveland's not going to have any sympathy, for the Jaguars though. You guys have certainly had your fair share of injuries as well. Before we get into the game, just in totality, seven and five for the Browns, twelve games in. Your thoughts on where Cleveland is right now?
3: Yeah, they're hanging on, but they're they're kind of leaking oil a little bit. Um they just went on a west coast swing or whatever, west swing. Denver's not on the west coast, but they went out to Denver and lost and then they went stayed out there in LA and then lost to the Chargers on Sunday. So they've lost two in a row for the first time this year. They're a little banged up. You know, they've lost guys throughout the year. Um, they got Joe Flacco playing quarterback now, and he'll actually look good against the Rams. Uh, But, you know, just there's a lot of good vibes early, and then as the injuries start to mount, get back-to-back losses, uh, people are starting to get a little worried.
0: Yeah, we can certainly relate to that with what happened here against Cincinnati on Monday night. You mentioned Joe Flacco. I know it's early in the week. The game is still a few days off, obviously. Is that your expectation, that Joe Flacco will be the Cleveland quarterback on Sunday?
3: Without a doubt. Kevin Stefanski, the coach, did not name him that on Monday. said he wanted more time. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who had started the previous two games after Deshaun Watson was lost for the season with a broken shoulder, is still in the concussion protocol, or at least was on Monday but even if he's cleared, I think the Browns have to stick with Watson, or I'm sorry, had to stick with Flacco. Um, I think they know that. I think that's the plan. Um, they just haven't made it official yet. So I think on Wednesday, we'll find out that Joe Flacco's starting again. And, you know, he's provided a little bit of hope in, you know, these dark times. You lose Watson. Watson had just started to play well. Um, you know, it looks like the Browns had a chance to chase down the Ravens in the AFC North. And then you find out Watson's done for the year. Uh, Flacco the way he threw the ball his experience I I think that gives the Browns a chance as long as their defense starts you know living up to that number one ranking again
0: Scott Petrack brownzone.com you look at the beginning of the year Deshaun Watson Nick Chubb obviously Chubb has been gone for a while Watson's been gone now so Cleveland's been decimated by injuries I know Amari Cooper is in concussion (laughs) protocol do we know the status of for him on Sunday yet
3: no i mean it's too early right it's only a couple of days in um you know you can't rule them out yet but not a whole lot of guys come back from a concussion within one one week anymore um anthony walker their linebacker actually did it earlier in the year but it's rare so i think they have to proceed like cooper won't play and then if he does that's a huge bonus for the Browns because he's by far their best receiver um the other big injury that they have to Keep an eye on is Denzel Ward, the number one cornerback. He's a two-time pro bowler. I think he's playing his best since he's been in the league. He's missed the last two games with a shoulder injury. So if they can get him, and they've missed him, his absence has been obvious. So if they can get him back this week, that would be big for the Browns.
0: Jaguars in Cleveland on Sunday. We'll see what the weather's like up there. Obviously December in Cleveland. You never really know. Scott, as far as Joe Flacco, I mean, he's been there all of about two and a half weeks. The guy's played, obviously, a million games in the NFL. I watched him last week from afar. He looked like he did come in and maybe stabilize the offense. What are they hoping to get out of Joe Flacco if he starts on Sunday?
3: Yeah, he certainly did stabilize it, and he calmed things down. Uh, but to me, the biggest takeaway is that he can still throw it in you know, I think we knew that he beat the Browns in week two last year. It's a kind of crazy ending. The Browns missed an extra point onside kick, but Flacco throws two touchdowns in the last 82 seconds to beat them. Um, but then he only played, he'd think he started one more game after that, or he started the finale. He hadn't thrown a touchdown pass since that week two game in Cleveland until Sunday against the Rams. So he can still throw it, and the fact that he can do that enables the Browns to stretch the field and they were not, they couldn't do that with Dorian Thompson Robinson at quarterback. So everything got squeezed. You know, the short passes become more difficult. The run game becomes more difficult. Teams were going with big bodies. Even if the Browns tried to spread them out with, you know, three receivers, they were just matched with base defense and big bodies, which makes it tough to run against. So the belief is with Flacco's ability to throw the ball all over the field and throw it well, it stretches things out. You can get the run game going again. We saw more play action in under center with Flacco than with Deshaun Watson. It kind of took you back to 2020 and 2021 when Baker Mayfield was there. That was more of the system. Two and three tight ends, big bodies, extra linemen, and then play fake. And, you know, the rollouts from the quarterback, um, you know, kind of like that. The 49ers offense, the Rams do some of that, you know, a lot of misdirection with out of the you know under center in the play action stuff. Um, which is a different look than the bronze had been given earlier. So the hope is his ability to throw really helps the run game too.
0: A couple of more for Scott Petrack. You check his work out there at brownzone.com. The Jaguars and the Browns Sunday at 1 o'clock. Assuming, again, we're going to go on the assumption that Cooper is out. We don't know that for mm-hmm. certain yet, but let's assume that. No Cooper. So, the, I mean, Elijah Moore has been very good. Obviously, David Njoku is a very solid tight end. I know Harrison Bryant's been in the mix there as well. How would you assess Flacco's skill position, guys, if Cooper doesn't play?
3: Yeah, they're not great. There's been conversation up here all year long about whether the Browns were a receiver short. and But they traded for Elijah Moore in the offseason. They loved him. They thought he was going to have a huge impact. And he hasn't. The numbers aren't bad. I think he's got a career high in touches. He showed up in L.A. versus the Rams. And him and he and Flacco were actually teammates with the Jets for a couple of years. So they have some chemistry there. They have a relationship. Uh, but, you know, there was rumblings at one point where they signed DeAndre Hopkins. And the Bronx thought they were good enough at receiver. Without Cooper, it's a big question. They traded Donovan Peoples-Jones at the deadline to the Lions kind of to create more playing time for rookie Cedric Tillman. So if Cooper's not out there, it's Elijah Moore, number one, tight end David Njoku, number two. I could say rookie said Tillman, number three, and then it's kind of figuring it out. David Bell, um, it receiver, Harrison Bryant, like you mentioned. Um, then you have to rely, rely on the scheme, right? Okay, you're getting guys open because of the plays, not so much guys winning one-on-one.
0: As far as the defense goes, Scott, it started out for Cleveland being absolutely outstanding, and they're still very, very good, but maybe not as good as they were a month or two ago. You mentioned injuries. Obviously, Miles Garrett is still uh, in the running for defensive player of the year. How has the Browns' defense been playing, assuming they're going to go against a backup quarterback here in Jacksonville in C.J. Bethard?
3: Well, they've been really good against bad quarterbacks. Um, You know, they made – Clayton Tune with the Cardinals looked silly. I think they had 54 yards. Um, you know, he, he not he's not a bad quarterback. Joe Burrow was banged up in the opener, and the Browns held him. Um, I think Ryan Tannehill started against him when they played the Titans. They had 94 yards. Like so, they and, and it's at home. The, it's been night and day, home versus road, which is kind of hard to figure out because I would think the defense would travel, but it really hasn't. Um, so they've been good against bad quarterbacks you know they missed Ward like I talked about the last couple of weeks Miles Garrett banged up his left shoulder against the Broncos played a bunch against the Rams but had no no sacks no tackles um you know now they really doubled and triple teamed I'm rewatching the game now and there's a lot of emphasis on stopping him but he's probably not 100% and he has been playing at such a high level so there's a little drop off there uh the hope is get back home get Denzel Ward back. I don't know if that's guaranteed, but if they can get him back and get rolling again, and even when they played poorly for them, like it's not awful. You know, they gave up 399 to the Rams, which isn't good, but it was also 2019 halfway through the fourth quarter before the Bronze started turning it over. So it's still good, but it isn't the dominant unit it was. And that's what they're looking to get back to.
0: Scott, as we begin to wrap up a month ago, this looked like it was going to be Deshaun Watson Against Trevor Lawrence, it was going to be a big deal, and now it looks like it's going to be Joe Flacco against C.J. Beathard. But having said that, one team is seven and five, the other team's eight and four. They're both scratching and clawing for playoff positioning. I mean, this is a big game in Cleveland on
3: Sunday. Oh my gosh, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know the Browns. The Browns' schedule gets easier after Jacksonville. There's Chicago. There's the Jets. There's Cincinnati, right? And who knows how Cincinnati will be? You know, I know that's fresh for you. Yeah, guys, about to say
0: that's an open wound right, here, Scott. Right,
3: right, right. But they don't have, but they don't have Joe Burrow, right? So it looks like there's winnable games. If Trevor Lawrence doesn't play, this looks like a more winnable game. So it's huge. You got to get to ten, and it's all about finding three more wins somewhere in the last five games. Um, and if you could get one and avoid a three-game winning streak, that'd be huge
0: yeah Jaguars are looking at this kind of the same way. It's Cleveland, then Baltimore, but then the Jaguars actually finished Carolina, Tampa, and Tennessee. so it gets really easy in the last three. They're hoping to maybe get one of these next two to get to nine and then see what happens the final three weeks of the year uh weather forecast, I know we're about four days out, but what's the weather like in Cleveland what it might it be on Sunday?
3: you know what? Let me look at my phone it's gonna be it's gonna get into the fifties later in the week um let me see if it's going to stay that way. It looks that, like. That would sunny, be awful nice for us. 53 and maybe rain. So not bad at all.
0: No, for December in Cleveland, 53 and <laughs> maybe rain. I think the Jaguars would absolutely take that. Hey, Scott, I know there's a lot of Midwest folks down here, a lot of Cleveland folks down here. Give yourself a little bit of love. Brownzone.com. How can people find you?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's the place to go. That's where all my work is. I posted, posted something about um, Trevor and Doug Peterson's update. So, yeah, Brownzone.com. A lot of stuff all week.
0: Scott Petrax, our guy up in Cleveland when he covers the Cleveland Browns. Scott, really appreciate it, man. Let's have a great game on Sunday, and we'll talk again soon.
3: Thanks, bud.
1: Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
0: Nine o'clock hour has arrived. 1010XL 92. 8.5 Point five FM, we are glad you are with us. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk to Leon about the Jaguars and the Browns coming up on Sunday. Also later on here in the 9 o'clock hour, Toby Bullock, the head coach of the Mandarin Mustangs, as they get ready for a state championship game Friday in Tallahassee against Miami-Columbus. In fact, three of our local high school football teams, St. Augustine, Bradford County, and Mandarin, all getting ready to play in state championship games. In fact, St. Augustine plays tomorrow afternoon in a state title game against Daytona Beach Mainland. Bradford County plays Coco on Friday. Mandarin plays Miami-Columbus on Friday. And we'll talk to Toby Bullock, the head coach of Mandarin, coming up here in just a moment quickly Denmark of the three that are in state championship games beginning tomorrow St. Aug Bradford County Mandarin who do you like the most to bring home a state title
2: uh probably St. Augustine if I had to if I had to bet one I that's what I would think
0: think about Daytona Beach when they have a win over Reigns this year a win over Bartram Trail And they got a lot of transfers into Daytona Beach, Mainland this year. Yeah, it's high school football. Let's just say that. That's kind of like a Volusia County all-star team that St. Augustine is playing. It's within the rules. I get it. But a lot of transfers into Mainland. So we'll see what happens. But again, best of luck to St. Aug and Bradford County. And we will talk to Toby Bulk of Mandarin coming up in just a moment. As we roll on, Wednesday night edition, Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. My buddy Leon Searcy joins us next here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up
1: another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line.
0: Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Browns, Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. It's a huge game. Cleveland 7-5, Jacksonville 8-4, and both teams have been obliterated as of late with injuries. With all that being said, and welcome in my friend Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on Primetime, Former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And he's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how you doing, man?
4: I'm doing great, bro.
0: Leon, appreciate the time. All right, 48 hours ago, that sucked down at the stadium. Uh, I haven't talked to you since that game your takeaway is from what was, a, quite frankly, a disastrous night in that loss to the Bengals.
4: Yeah, you know, Hack, um, it, it, was, it was very disappointing to see the Jaguars lose Cincinnati Bengals team. In it. But what worried me going into the game a week before the game is that uh, I, I don't think the Jaguars took them lightly. I just think that the Cincinnati Bengals had heard all week longer how good Jacksonville was. They were 10-point underdogs. They were decimated with injuries, but you got to remember this team just a couple of years ago they went toe to toe with the Titan, which I, the Titan I consider the Kansas City chiefs i mean they've been in the a f c championship game against the chiefs they've they've come close they've gone to a super Bowl, so they've got a championship pedigree about themselves, and you know and and they took it personally that uh Jacksonville was heavily favored, and they played according to that and I think Jacksonville wasn't prepared for the, this team rallying around Browning. And putting him in positions to succeed, not only running the ball, but also in the passing game. So, um, and then we were decimated with injuries. You know, Trevor Lawrence goes down. You know, Christian Christian Kirk goes down. So, I mean, this team is in desperation right now. I mean, the the cusp of the playoffs is in their hands with these last five games. They've got to find a way to win.
0: Yeah, it was a bad night all the way around. It's really unfortunate. You wait 12 years for Monday Night Football here in town, and that's the result. I want to focus on the offense primarily, but quickly to the defense. Leon, that was terrible. I mean, Jake Browning might as well have been Tom Brady or Joe Montana out there. 32 of 37 for 354. I mean, are you kidding me, man? And and the offense, uh, the running game for Cincinnati, did whatever they wanted to do as well. I mean... What an awful defensive performance.
4: Oh, it, it was it was awful defensive performance. This is probably the first time I've, I've been very disappointed in our defense. I mean, our defense usually mm-hmm. at, at some particular time was either good at the pass rush or good at stopping the run. I at both. But you watch this game Monday Night Football, they were terrible at both. I don't know what it was about this Cincinnati Bengals offense, their offensive line where they couldn't get any kind of penetration, no kind of sacks. I mean, Josh Allen had a sack and a half, but it really didn't play a factor and disrupt now he had a nice interception but his fact was wasn't disrupted to the to the flow of their offense i just think zach i think zach taylor the brother of press taylor did a wonderful job of getting the ball out of out of uh, brownie's hand i mean I'm, if you look at it i mean those crossers they were running uh those those quick those quick uh uh curl routes and, and slant routes i mean they were getting the ball out of his hand so he did a wonderful job offensively, orchestrating the offense to where he's not going to hold on the ball that long. And then, and whether we played man or zone, um, I, their wide receivers were just better than our defensive backs. Mimi and, and you know Jamar Chase, you know he lit us up for about eleven football, almost a buck fifty. They ran the ball effectively over us, over one hundred fifty yards running the ball. So I mean, listen, their styles and fights, and um, uh, I, we. we we didn't do a good job of adjusting uh, to what they were doing. And uh, for the most part, man, they just lit us up all the whole game.
0: You get Leon Circe every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon to the offense and the injuries were the story. We'll start with Trevor. When Trevor went down, you could hear the air come out of the balloon in that stadium. Uh, we did not know even after the game – that his season wasn't over. I mean, it looked terrible. Now, in the hours and a few days since, obviously it is not as bad as it appeared. We don't necessarily know his status for this week. I would be very surprised to be played this week. But the Jaguars appeared again to have potentially dodged a major bullet there.
4: Yeah, when you know, when I initially saw the injury, first thing I thought was, you know, I always think knee because the way he went down, uh, when I saw Walker Little's uh, right foot kick him and I saw that knee buckle and then he f- fell on top of the knee, I just thought ACL, MCL, something just as devastating. And I just thought the season was a wash, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I got to give Trevor Lawrence some, some, um, some, some credit for his flexibility because of the fact that it's just a high ankle sprain is, is miraculous to me, to be quite honest with you. So – um, I mean, we're looking at you know, the, the threshold of his pain. Uh, I mean, he actually has something that Patrick Mahomes had to deal with last year towards the tail end of the season and into the play. Well, I think it was in the playoffs that we caused that injury to him in the playoff game, whatever, some high ankle sprain. He was able to battle back from it. So I think Trevor's tough. I think Trevor realizes, you know, what what's at hand, how close that they are. And I wouldn't be surprised if Trevor I mean he may miss this game. He may he may miss you know what, I'm gonna say he's gonna miss this game, but something tells me Trevor's gonna be there Sunday night. I don't know. I'm just just a gut feeling. I have I have no uh no inside any inside trading going on here. I'm just thinking that a game of that magnitude on the Sunday night football, if he can deal with that threshold, that pain, I'm I'm thinking that Trevor's gonna be ready for that game.
0: Leon, how does that work? Because Trevor's gonna to wanna to play this week. All right, the coaches, the trainers, you got to think about the best interest of the player because obviously these guys, as you know, you did it for 11 years, you're going to want to get out there. You're going to think you can get out there. What's going to be the protocol over the next three or four days leading into Cleveland?
4: Well, I think Cleveland is, uh, in the the coach's assessment probably in the trainer's assessment, Cleveland's a wash. All right, Cleveland's a wash. I mean, he's going to get damn near 24-hour treatment on that ankle. Um, while you know, while he's um, uh, you know, while he's not playing, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Cause I listen, I was in that situation too. It was actually my thumb. I, I fractured my thumb, and they needed me to play, and I got treatment 24 hours. Nurses came over to my place, whatever they needed to do to uh, you know, to, to expedite the 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 the, the 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 treatment to where the healing could can move along faster. So, um. I'm, I'm thinking that Trevor is going to get that same kind of assistance. So uh, it's just going to be a matter of him getting that assistance, letting it heal, getting the tr- proper treatment on it, and then see how he moves and maneuvers. Now you don't want a sitting duck back there with a or with a patchwork offensive line because you know you 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 you, you you're, you're you're dealing with a left tackle. You both of your left tackles are down. So I mean the blind side of Trevor, you know, you want to protect. So you just don't want to sit and do you got to make sure that once he gets the treatment, once the healing process occurs, that somehow he's able to move and maneuver at some factor.
0: That brings us to the offensive line. Cam Robinson cannot come back for a couple of weeks. Walker Little has a hamstring. I'm not exactly a doctor, but a 320-pound man with a hamstring, I would find it hard to believe that he will play on Sunday. Again, we don't know that. That's just my assumption. So if that does indeed happen, I guess it's Blake Hans, right? I mean, that that's where you are now without Robinson and Little.
4: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're basically yeah, you you're dealing with Blake Hans. And um you know, I, I don't I don't know what kind of uh history he has at left tackle. I don't have any film on if he's ever played the position before. Uh but um he's got to be solid if we got a chance. If we got any kind, I mean, whatever you got to do. Uh, to protect your quarterback in this game against Cleveland. I mean, I don't know the, the status of Miles Garrett, but if he's playing, he's a wrecking ball. I mean, he can he disrupt your whole offense by him himself alone. So I would anticipate the Jaguars using match protection uh, or, or getting the quarterback out of the pocket, rolling them out. Uh, you don't want a guy who does, doesn't have that much experience at left tackle having to go up against a man-child like uh, a Miles Garrett because it, it could get ugly real quick. So, you got to configure uh, certain protections to where uh, he's getting help, he's getting chips, you're rolling out the quarterback, whatever you need to do to make sure this offense can move productively. Because if you don't do that, you leave him one on one with a guy like Miles Garrett, uh, it's going to get ugly.
0: Final moments here with Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Leon Christian Kirk's injury has been a little bit overshadowed by the Trevor news. But we're going to be without Kirk for quite some time. Maybe the rest of the regular season we'll see what happens if the Jaguars make the postseason. That sucks. I was explaining to my buddy, you know, the Kirk injury sucks. The Lawrence injury, if it would have been worse, would have ended the year. So I think given the circumstance, the Jaguars have to feel a little lucky that Trevor looks like he's going to come back amidst losing Kirk. But I got to tell you, Parker Washington – that was intriguing to me, Leon. Did he make some rookie mistakes on Monday? Yeah, he did. But he showed me enough to where I want to see a little bit more of him now.
4: Yeah, I mean, listen, this point in the season, I mean, when you're making a playoff push, uh, it's all about who can you trust. And, you know, it's unfortunate that Christian Kirk went down because he's been a key component of this offense for the last two years. And to be quite frankly, I, even though the welcome addition of Kyle Ben Ridley, I mean, Christian Kirk is still – Trevor Lawrence's go-to guy when it comes when the chips are on the, when the chips are on the table he goes to him because he's he's the more reliable wide receiver in my assessment but yeah Parker Washington I mean yeah he he made some mistakes but um uh, he's gonna have to clean them up I mean you you can't you can't use that rookie title anymore or inexperienced title anymore because the 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 games are too important now uh the, these these next five games are playoff games. And uh, th- there's a reason why a lot, a lot of people are saying, well, uh, our rookie class is not getting a lot of reps and this because they can't be trusted right now. You know, they can't be trusted. And, and you, you can't put guys out there who who are making mistakes, mental errors, uh, fumbling the ball, dropping the ball, missing blocks, mental errors. It's it's too pivotal of a season right now with the last five games that you can't have those kind of guys there. But Parker Washington, I mean, he's got to learn on the fly and he's got to grow up fast. Uh, he he did have that touchdown in the back of the end. So Trevor was very lucky with that pass because that should have been intercepted, but Parker Washington had the, the, the means or the, the, the whereabouts to, to catch the ball and keep himself inside for the touchdown. So uh, yeah, he's going to have to step up quickly because when you leave, when you lose a guy like Christian Kirk, I mean, you've got big shoes to fill.
0: I'll tell you who doesn't care about injuries for the Jaguars, and that's the Cleveland Browns because they're without Deshaun Watson. They're without Nick Chubb. Amari Cooper's in concussion protocol. Miles Garrett's nowhere near 100%. Cleveland's been decimated by injury as well. Leon, I'm not going to ask for a prediction because we're so early in the week and we don't know exactly who's going to play for the Jaguars yet. But as we say goodbye, I want to ask you this as we close here. The Jaguars in week three, the sky was falling after a 1-2 and two start, and they responded in London. Three weeks ago, the sky was falling after San Francisco embarrassed them, and they responded against Tennessee at Houston. And now here we are again. Sky's falling. They lose on Monday night. All the injuries. For what this team lacks in big games and prime time, and they don't show up to those games, I think that's who they are at this point until proven otherwise, what they do have, is seems, to is resiliency. They seem to get up off the mat when they get knocked down, and they'll have
4: to show that again on Sunday. You're absolutely right, Hack. Uh, you know, I, I kind of equate the Jaguars to uh, a boxing match. You know, they got good cutting men, you know, because uh, sometimes they come to the corner, they're bleeding, they're out of breath, but but whatever, for whatever reason, when we count them out, they show up when they're supposed to. So oh that that you know that's a testament that is a testament to the to not only the players and the characters within that locker room but also to that coaching staff uh that coaching staff does a wonderful job of hey listen, okay, this is not who you are. you address it on the film you make the you make the critical changes, and then you go about your business of being better the next couple of weeks so listen I I believe this team is going to respond well to Cleveland. It's going to be a tough environment. They, they got a solid defense. They got a hell of an offensive line that can run the football, and um, it's going to be a heavyweight fight because both both teams are in 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 desperation. People are saying, "Well, you know, Cleveland's a desperate team." Hell, we're a desperate team. We're wild our starting quarterback. We're out one of our most reliable uh, wide receivers. We're, our, we're our two left tackles. I mean, we're a desperate team too. We we've got to stay on pace in front of the division because we've got the Houston Texans and we got Indianapolis Colts lurking.
0: That's exactly right. You know, Cincinnati beat us on Monday. We need Cincinnati to beat Indianapolis on Sunday now. That would be very nice if Jake Browning can do to the Colts what he did to the Jaguars last week. Leon Sears, you hear him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, appreciate it, brother. I'll see you Sunday for the fifth quarter. You got it. And the high school spotlight rolls on, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. It is state championship week. We've already talked with St. Augustine, head coach Brian Braddock. We've talked to Jamie Rogers, the head coach of Bradford County. And Duval County has one school remaining, the Mandarin Mustangs, have gone four for four, four road playoff games, four victories. They are heading to Tallahassee to play for a state championship At the end of the week against Miami Columbus, their head coach is Toby Bullock, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, how we doing?
1: Good. How you doing, Heck?
0: Coach, we're good. Thank you for the time, as always. And all right, it was back and forth for a while on Friday night, but good grief. You guys pulled away. You win the game going away in the fourth quarter, and you're heading to a state championship game. You must be ecstatic with the way your kids played.
1: Yeah, it was it was back and forth for a while. Um, the field conditions were were really tough. That they share a field, you know, that's not their school's field. They don't actually have a field. They share a field with that's Columbia, uh, Coconut Creek High School. So I got to imagine that grass fields had upwards of fifteen, sixteen games on it this year, and uh, it uh, the footing was really, really poor for both teams, a lot of slipping and I'm sure there could have been some other plays, but, uh, you know, it kept the, it neutralized some of the things we were trying to do.
0: I don't know, coach, there's no way to look this up, but I can't imagine there's a lot of schools in recent memory that have gone four road playoff games, three to Orlando, one to coconut Creek. You've won all of them to get to a state championship game just talk about the ride of the last month, having to go on the road every Friday night and win in these tough environments.
1: It's, 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 it's tiring, um, to say the least. You know, you get, you know, the last, you know, we got home at 1 a.m. four weeks ago, 1.30, I think it was 2 o'clock. And then last week we got in at around 5.30 in the morning mm. on Saturday and you got to get the film broke down and, and get right at it. So, you know the the kids have been exceptional. You know, hydrating and keeping themselves where they need to be and healthy. And um, but it's it's been taxing. You know, you, you, that was the big talk after the game, just how nice it would have been to be able to get in the car and just go home. You know, but now you got to drive all night to to get back to Jacksonville.
0: Toby Bullock, the head coach of Mandarin. Coach, you and I talked before the year, and there were a lot of expectations with your team. We all saw the talent that your team had. I mean, not every team in Florida has a quarterback committed to Florida State and a wide receiver committed to Alabama and DBs, plural, committed to Penn State. I mean, it was obvious the talent that was there, but sometimes, in fact, the majority of the time, talent like that maybe doesn't live up to expectations. Your guys obviously have. There's only two teams left in your classification, and you're one of them. Just speak to rising to the expectations and meeting those goals head on.
1: Yeah, to be 100 percent transparent, that that probably was my biggest fear on the year. You know, I knew, you know, I knew we would be in the right spots, and I knew the kids would want it, but you know, could we get? you know get it done and make the tackle make the catch whatever whatever it took to to get overcome some things and and to be able to play for a state championship but you know as as talented as we are that was my my biggest fear to be that team that you know just underachieved Um, and uh, for the kids to do what they've done and you know we've had some luck on our sides and we've gotten some good bounces we've stayed healthy for the most part through the year. And I, that probably is the thing that people don't talk about the most is just staying healthy. You know, you, you got to have some luck with that.
0: You know, we talk about 2018 a lot, coach, you were on that staff that won a state championship at Mandarin as a coordinator. You're now at the head man here in 2023. And when you really look at the comparisons, you're running through the city of Orlando out in 2018, just like you did this year winning road game after road game after road game and now at the finish line you get the same team they beat Columbus in 2018 you guys get Miami Columbus again in 2023 before we talk about the game itself there certainly are a lot of similarities are there not
1: there are um you know I would have liked to have had the two home games we had in 18 in the playoffs it'd have been fun for our community to be able to come out and support us in at least just one game that would have been pretty cool and I would like to see the kids have that that chance but I'll take it any way I can get it Um, you know there are and you know to start the year I think everybody kind of assumed Columbus would be the one to come out of the south and uh, you know and when you look I thought that it would either be a Popka Seminole uh, Lake Mary or us to be that team that came out of the North and uh, fortunately we're the ones that, you know, were able to come out and, uh, and have a chance. And it's a little different going against Columbus. Uh, Columbus had never won a state title when we beat them at 18. They'd been a few times, but they'd never won. And now they're back, they're defending, they've won, I think two or three. Um, And they're the defending state title holder and, you know, so it is different. They definitely are going to have a, an understanding of the game, understand the situation a little better than we are. And uh, you know, and they to be to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. So it'll be uh, it'll be really interesting to see how it goes on Friday.
0: You know, to that point, your players don't have state championship experience, but you do. You were on that staff that beat Columbus back in what was it five years ago now. What did you learn from that experience in 18 that will help you guide your kids this week leading into that game on Friday?
1: The biggest thing, and I think it's been – I think it's kind of something that we've kind of leaned on. Uh until last week, uh, myself, we have – I think four, four of my staff members were on that 18 staff. And uh, my D.C. was the D-line coach, the linebacker coach, Coach Reed is – the same linebacker coach and uh, my quarterback coach coach Harrell was our wide receiver coach back then and um, when uh, when we did that that run we got to see what Seminole was like we got to see what Lake Mary was like and Apopka and those things so we have some familiarity with these these places we've gone this year um, and so it kind of goes for that uh, this year, you know, we're familiar with FAMU. We have coaches that went to school there. We know what the time commitment is as far as it's very different. you got to get off the field earlier than you normally probably would in the the regular season. And so that won't be – that's something we can practice and get the kids ready for to not have them thrown off. So to have some familiarity is really nice. Um, It really is. It's helped all year to be honest, that just the experience of the venue you're going to, you can show the kids uh, different things and help guide them visually of what they're going to experience.
0: Final moments with Toby Bullock, the head coach of the Mandarin Mustangs. They're in the state championship on Friday against Miami Columbus. Coach 4M, your classification is no joke. You're talking about the biggest student populations in Jacksonville, in Orlando, in Tampa, in Miami and you're one of the last two standing. I mean, before we look at the game briefly, have, have you taken a moment to say, wow, I mean, what a year it's been to this point?
1: It's a dream come true. You know, uh, Mandarin was the place I always dreamed of being a head coach at when I when I stepped away from the game playing. Uh, my first job interview that night, I ended up uh, coming to a spring jamboree at Mandarin, and just the atmosphere, the the talent of the kids in Florida I called my wife who was still up in Huntington uh, with our newborn and uh, told her I wanted to be the head coach at Mandarin High School. And so to be the head coach at Mandarin High School, to be in a state championship, to to represent the school and my administration and, you know, just the pride that comes with being at Mandarin, words don't describe it. It's pretty awesome.
0: You have a chance to get into some rarefied air. I mean, one state championship is amazing enough. Public schools in the state that have multiple state championships, there's not a lot on that list. I mean, Mandarin has a, a real opportunity here on Friday night. They do.
1: It. I mean, it, uh, Coach Harold said to me last night when we were walking out of the meeting, uh, he just said, you know, so many times you hear coaches that don't even get to be in the game and this will be our second trip. And that's just pretty cool to be a part of.
0: Mandarin and Miami Columbus. Briefly, coach, what do we know about Columbus? They're
1: yeah, the defending champs. I mean, you got to respect that. They're a balanced offense. They have a really good looking big tight end that I think everybody in the country wants 6'6, 235. They got a DN that's committed to Miami. They got another DN committed in Nebraska, and I think one more committed somewhere else. Um, they got a safety that's a big time safety, uh, in the 2025 class and, uh, they have a wide receiver going to Appalachia state and a quarterback that has a championship under his belt. You know, he was their quarterback last year and he's got a lot of, a lot of playing under his experience. So they, uh, they're a heck of a team. It's going to be a challenge. You know, they're an all boys school, um, down there with 2,500 boys. Uh, which is more more boys, than I think we have total population at Mandarin. But they uh, they're kind of we kind of refer to them as a you know kind of like a, a bowls of Miami in the sense of you know they do a really really you know what bowls does year in year out is is win and have a great team on the field, and that's kind of what Columbus is. They have great facilities, great pride in what they do, they have a great alumni base, and you know we're going to have to beat all that on Friday.
0: Toby Bullock of Mandarin. Coach, what's the itinerary? Is there a special send-off at Mandarin High School? How's the schedule look this week?
1: Miss Bravo gave us a really nice send-off this past week. Uh, She's pretty – her and Coach Rado do a great job uh, with making the moments feel even better. Uh, But as far as, you know, us, the Mandarin football team, man, we're going to stop and – you know, we'll eat Chick-fil-A and we're we'll gonna do the same thing we've been doing for the last four weeks and we ain't gonna we're not gonna change anything. We're trying to find a way we can get the Buckys in Daytona before we go to Tallahassee to keep the schedule the same. Uh but uh yeah, we're not gonna do anything different. If the school does something to send us off, we'll be, you know, just happy to have it and, and gracious to anybody that wants to celebrate this with us. But uh yeah, we ain't going to change anything we're doing.
0: Mandarin Miami Columbus, the 4M state championship game on Friday there in Tallahassee. Coach, best of luck. Go get the W. We'll talk again next week.
1: Thank you so much, Hack. Plus two.
0: And thank you to Toby Bullock, the head coach of the Mandarin Mustangs, as Mandarin gets ready to take on Miami Columbus on Friday. That will be in Tallahassee for the 4M state championship. Of course, Mandarin beat Miami Columbus back in 2018 for their first state title, and they're looking to do it all over again here in 2023. Big takeaways of the evening here on Hacker After Dark. Well, like we talked about last night, the resiliency of this Jaguar football team. I was thinking more about it today. Every time, really, in the last calendar year, you counted them out, they have responded, right? They were 4 and 8 last year going into week 14, 4 and 8. This year they're 8 and 4. Of course, last year at 4 and 8, they went on to win five straight games to get into the playoffs. And isn't it interesting that week 13 last year, the Jaguars lost in blowout fashion to Detroit, a game in which Trevor Lawrence got hurt. Week 13 this year, the Jaguars lose a heartbreaker to Cincinnati, a game in which Trevor Lawrence got hurt. Will history repeat itself one year later? We will see beginning on Sunday when they take on the Cleveland Browns up in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Toby Bullock, the head coach of the Mandarin Mustangs. Appreciate him taking time out for us this evening. Thank you to Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Always appreciate Leon joining us. We did go up to Cleveland, Ohio. My man Scott Petrack of the com. Scott's my guy up in Cleveland. I've had him on for years. Really enjoyed his perspective. I'll tell you, a team that does not want to hear about injury problems, and that's the Cleveland Browns. As Scott told you, look, Nick Chubb's been out basically the entire year. They lost to Sean Watson. They've been without Denzel Ward. Miles Garrett clearly isn't 100%, and Amari Cooper is in concussion protocol, all right? If there is a team that does not care about your injury problems, it's Cleveland because they have had massive injury problems of their own. So it'll be two pretty banged-up teams going at it on Sunday. And back in hour number one, my friend Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's always kind enough to join us here weekly on Hacker After Dark. Now, this is my last show of the week, getting down to a little R&R for three days, down at the most magical place on Earth, taking the family down to Disney World through Saturday evening. But I will be back on Sunday for the fifth quarter. That's right, Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and myself, Players Grill, Miramar. We will be there two hours after the Jaguars and the Browns go final, hopefully recapping a Jaguar victory. So I will join you Sunday here on 1010XL. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and I will talk to you next on Sunday for the fifth quarter, two hours after the Jaguars and the Browns go final. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.